Thanks for listening to <laughs> Thanks for listening to Folks Podcast. I'm Tess Falgren. This episode I'm going to be talking to my good friend Adam Miller. He's about to leave Missoula um, after living here for 2 years to embark on a giant trip of the lower 48 states on a motorcycle. Um, although he has not yet mastered riding a motorcycle, it's pretty crazy and I'm really proud of him. We're all sad to see him go. I uh, picked him for this episode because I wanted wanted to talk about the 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps, which was a group of men in the 25th Infantry who um, biked from Missoula, Montana, from Fort Missoula to St. Louis in June of 1897. And um, it was really interesting because um for one thing you know bikes were brand new and no one had had any ever done that kind of trip before um also it's interesting that the core is entirely black men it was before the desegregation of the military obviously and um so this uh little known fact of these these men who lived in early montana and um did a lot of really awesome stuff out here and apparently led a pretty pretty good lives in in Missoula. I, one of the um, men, Mingo Sanders, one of his um, granddaughters was in the PBS documentary about this and she said Montana was the only place where they were welcome. The only place they served where they were welcome. Uh, don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, but that that's pretty nice. I think that we're all proud of Missoula. It's nice to get to hear that at least. I hope that they I hope they had a good time here. Um, okay, so thank you for listening. If you want to follow Adam on his trip, you can find him on Instagram at Adam A D A M M M. So that's three M's on Adam, and then there's some numbers at the end, and it's A D A M M M eight nine five. Who knows why he picked that? Maybe you can ask him. Maybe you can send him a personal Instagram message and be like, yo, dude, how come? Why those numbers? Why the three M's, Adam? Okay, well, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Bozeman, Montana right now, and it's almost one in the morning, so I think it's time to just listen to the show, huh? All right, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Your name is Adam. That's true. Adam Miller? Uh-huh. Is that your full name? Adam Michael Miller is my full name. Really? But you can just call Do me. Do people call you Mikey? Never. No one's ever called you Mikey? No. How have I never called you Mikey? Because <laughs> we're friends and you wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, and Adam, what is, what is, um, I hear on the grapevine there's a thing that you're about to do. You're talking about go to work? <laughs> <laughs> in the longer picture in the longer in picture. slightly longer picture yeah that's true what is it i'm gonna go on this 48 state motorcycle trip Duh! it's coming up yeah yeah when are you leaving i'm aiming for the 8th of may may 8th may and 8th. today is april 27th yeah so it's about holy shit nine days from now oh my god i really didn't realize how soon that was yeah it's terrifying. <laughs> oh my god. So you're feeling a little nervous? I feel nervous. I feel a lot of things. I haven't, uh, I had my endorsement test that I was supposed to take yesterday, but it was rainy, so they wouldn't let me take it, so I had oh. to reschedule it. Because you'll never have to bike in rain yeah. on well, your 48 days. Well, I mean, it's like, they're testing your abilities and stuff, and the track has to be dry for them to that get accurate sense. stuff, but... So you're yeah. telling me... Uh-huh. But you aren't endorsed yet. I'm not. I have my, my permit, but I need to get my endorsement. And the next available test was the 4th. So if I don't oh. pass my writing exam on the 4th, I'm kind of <laughs> up a creek. Which well, is you really... just have to postpone your... <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. What, what is making you nervous the most? Um, well, for one, I learned how to ride a motorcycle last summer so that I could do it this summer. So I'm a very yeah. inexperienced motorcycle rider. Yeah. And they're dangerous. So I'm worried that something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> oh. um, but I think I'll be okay. I'm pretty aware of, like, my surroundings and things like yeah. that. So I think as long as I... I'm not interested in, like, going 100 miles an hour or, like, racing right. or anything crazy. Or How fast does your bike go? 
I mean, what kind of bike is it? Is it something that will will go 100 miles an hour? It will, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's a BMW uh, 2006 650GC. Okay. I'm very knowledgeable. You sound confident. Yeah, I'm real confident. <laughs> um, yeah, I've gotten up to 85, 90 on it. Okay. And it has a speedometer that goes to like 140, so I'm sure okay. I could go pretty fast, but. Yeah. I like going the speed limit. And that makes sense. Very little higher. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, that's happening. Gonna go to all 48 states. Gonna probably take me five or six months to do it. How, um, what's your, like, do you have a route planned at this point? I have a general route. I want to mm-hmm. be pretty open to yeah. things that come up, but it's gonna pretty much be, I'm gonna head west to... Uh, Washington down to Oregon and then kind of go along the west coast Mm -hmm. and then kind of make a figure eight so Mm -hmm. I'm going to go from southwest up to northeast then down the east coast and then kind of back are you going to end up back here that's the plan cool so just in a few, in six months or something? In six months, I'll be crashing on Marshall's couch, probably. And awesome. <laughs> hopefully able to get some sort of gig at the Roxy for a few months at least, and then I don't really know what I'm going to do after that. I'm sure the Roxy would just hate to hire you I know. again. It's not a good situation there. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, that sounds really intense. Yeah. And fun. And Are I, you going to be staying in hotels? No. I've made like very strange, weird restrictions for myself okay. for my trip, so I'm not going to be spending any money on housing. No money on no housing. No money on housing. It's, okay. it's all camping and couch surfing and staying with friends and acquaintances. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not going to spend any money on alcohol, but if people want to buy me drinks along the way, you they're, hear that? they're more than welcome to. You hear that, listeners? <laughs> all of my uh, nationwide listeners that could... Far-reaching. I mean, honestly, are you going to have like a blog or an Instagram or anything to I've like... got my regular Instagram, mm-hmm. and I'll be on Facebook and stuff still, and I'll okay. be... I got some small but good camera equipment. I've got a solid GoPro setup with a mic cool. and everything. So yeah. I'm going to be hopefully filming and documenting my, my journey. And then Sweet. when I get back here, hopefully have enough to turn it into something. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. Adam, Yeah. this is a very, well, this is a certain special kind of podcast. This is the first time I have focused on male subjects. There you go. A, it's actually the first time I'm focusing on more than one person, mm-hmm. you know, like a group of people, yeah. and they're not They're not ladies, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they are African-American, so... They're still discriminated against. <laughs> yes. So that's why we, you know, that's why we focus on them for the podcast. You, I, I know of a couple of ladies you've had on this mm-hmm. podcast. Am I the first guy or am I not? You're not the first guy. Forget it, I'm leaving. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about it is that, well, my second episode mm-hmm. was with Matt, and okay. it was just a short 20-minute episode. Yeah. And, um... And I didn't make a big deal about it. Yeah, at the time, I should have been like, you're my first man! But yeah. it was only the second episode. I wanted to talk about this um, this historic event mm-hmm. with you, and I thought that it fit well together. Um, but you have obvious, like... Um, uh, advantages in your trip that you're about to go on, being a... I hope so. <laughs> a, yeah. Honestly, well, the most... The clearest, I think, would be so... The difference of your vehicle, but mm-hmm. also you're going to be a white dude traveling I mean, around the U.S. Yeah. So that's a pretty different, that's a different experience than these guys. Um, who are? Who are they? They are the 25th Infantry. Is there 25 of them? No. No. I think there's a, quite a few. Okay. I don't really understand the military. I don't either. No. Yeah. What's the point? I mean, I watch, sometimes I'll watch movies, but basically whenever they sometimes say... Sometimes I'll watch movies. <laughs> but basically whenever they say... Lieutenant, yeah. Colonel, all that stuff. I just you're like all right. You just something, beep it out. Something higher, I guess. Yeah, something. Private. Yeah. What does private mean? I think it's like. Is that the lowest? I think it's their their parts. Oh, is that the, yeah. is it their penis? Their penises. <laughs> Probably. Give them a friendly salute. Oh God, they're always talking about their privates. Uh-huh. <laughs> For some reason, to me, a private yeah. is like the spy. Like I think of because it's like, private. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that that is 100% incorrect. Oh, that can't be right. It's not, it's not right at all. But that's what I think Do you think, think a general is just, like, really vague? Yeah, the general is oh, just, just, like... Just in general. He's the, he's the general. I don't... And the colonel is a piece of popcorn. He's a piece of chicken. Oh, no. Popcorn chicken. I like the one... I like colonel and lieutenant the most mm-hmm. because they're the hardest to spell. 
Yeah. Okay, so the 25th <laughs> Infantry is a group, is a infantry, right, in the military. Do you, that think was... it's a, do you think it's appropriate right now that you, a young white woman, and me, <laughs> a slightly older but still young white man, are having a pretty laugh-heavy conversation about the struggles of African-Americans. We're doing our best. We're doing our best. We're doing know? our best, you know. Okay, so you're right. It's not <laughs> totally appropriate, but luckily this story is pretty fun. So the 25th Infantry was stationed here at Fort Missoula. Mm-hmm. And, um, let's see here. At this point in the podcast, Tess mm-hmm. is looking through her notes, um, just trying to come up with what she's going to say next. <laughs> Myself and all the listeners are on the edge of their seats. Okay, so the 25th Infantry... Nope, that's not where I'm going to start. Do you want to narrate again? Yeah, so essentially what <laughs> happened is Tess thought that she found what she wanted to talk about, but realized that while it was important information, there's another key point that she's looking for specifically uh, that she wants as an entry point into the conversation. And here we are. Okay, so um, there's a there's a history of segregation in the military that is muddy um, because I think okay. So here's the, the the long version of the story. I guess is that um, there's this book called Lies My Teacher Told Me by James W. Lowen, um, and it talks about the myth that the um, that segregation has always been or where it was always like established in the military when actually in the beginning of American history there was not segregation there were troops that were actually um or not troops but whatever infantries or whatever that were um desegregated Mm -hmm. and then there was a certain dude who established the segregation and it happened really quickly during reconstruction Mm -hmm. so it's kind of lost in history and it's definitely not in like high school history books or anything like that um it doesn't look very good obviously that we would like establish segregation yeah after um after it was already not yeah Yeah. and after criminalizing slavery yeah so it's um not in very many history books it is in this book lies my teacher told me and i was trying to find it to reference right now and I didn't, because it is a dense book with lots of information. Sure. So, um, you know, go find it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, that is a thing. So then there were four um, four army infantries established. The 9th and the 10th infantry um, was established by Congress in 1866. And that was the first, the, those are the first two black um, infantries. And then in 1869, the 24th and the 25th were established. And they would often get, like, the shittiest stuff, right? They'd get, like, the crappiest clothes, the worst horses, the worst jobs, the worst pay. Um, I saw, like, $10 a week versus $13 a week, Yeah. you know? So pretty pretty low pay um, in comparison to their white counterparts. Um, so they were in Texas working on the... Um, on the border with like, you know, the Indian wars, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and working on basic border stuff, border stuff on the border of Mexico. And then they got transferred to the, to the Dakota territory in 1880. And then in 1888, they got moved to Missoula, Montana. Mm-hmm. And when they're in Missoula is mostly like peacekeeping against the native Americans and fighting fires. And they're also the first people to, um, cut trails in glacier really yeah that's interesting i know um, i think that there's like a i'm sure it's there are some people that know a lot about it yeah you know but um there's seems like there's a really amazing history of these um troops of color in montana in Mon- in like establishing montana as yeah. we know it today you know huh um which i mean i really had no idea yeah but you know why i don't know because i've never been to fort missoula have you been there i've been there twice i've never been for and some reason, I did a lot of reading when I was there. I just looked at all the stuff, though. So, do you remember seeing a guy on a bike, a black dude on a bike? No. There is one apparently, no. and they have a like re- a statue. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, they don't just like hire a guy. <laughs> okay. Stand here with a bike. Yeah, it's a statue. It look, there, I saw a picture of it. It's like behind glass. I was yeah. gonna go today, but turns I think... out I have a job and I'm busy. But blah, blah blah, they're here, and there's this guy, Lieutenant Moss. Lieutenant Moss is the um, the leader. And he's a white fellow, mm-hmm. and he graduated last in his class. Mm-hmm. So basically the way it worked is, like, when you were, like, assigned 
a black regiment, yeah. it was because you were being like punished. Punished basically. for being stupid. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is oh. so sad, and it's really dumb, honestly, because they the um, the black uh, groups would usually have the highest morale. They yeah. had the lowest um, desertion rates, yeah. and the um, Oh, and the highest reenlistment rate. Really? Yeah. So it was like a really great yeah. group of people to be working with. Totally. Um, it was just straight up racism that right. prevented people from doing it. And even General Custer, he, he like refused to work with the black troops. Okay, so Lieutenant Moss um, was into bikes. Bikes were a new invention. Okay. So bikes were like a, um, they were invented in 1817 without any pedals. You would just, like, push along on the ground. Sure. Um, and then in 1874, um, there was a safety bicycle. It was invented by this guy named H.J. Lawson, and mm. it has the chain. Okay. Yeah. And then in 1888, there was the pneumatic tire invention by John Boy Dunlop. So um, they all of a sudden, there's these bikes that are, like, pretty safe and easy to use. And this guy, Lieutenant Moss, is like, I wonder if they could replace horses. Yeah. So that was the whole idea. He's like, I want to do this. I want to bring in bikes. Um, and I have the guys to do it. I have this whole like infantry of fellows who are going to do this with me. Um, and so they got, um, some bikes on loan from Spalding. And so Spalding was like, yeah, do this and we'll use you in ads and things like that. So, um, he goes to his guys and they do their first test in July of 1896 Uh and they go to Lake McDonald. Do you know where that is? Yeah. It's like the first, like, giant lake once you enter Glacier. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh! I guess I was thinking it was um, in the... Um, okay. Well, I don't have to say where I thought it was. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, so they they went to Lake McDonald. Um, it took them three days. It's 126 miles round trip. Yeah. And um, they had heavy rains and strong winds, and it was, like, really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. But when they, they got there and they stayed the night at Lake McDonald, it was, even though it was raining, they said they weren't tired, and they stayed up all night, like, talking and telling jokes and stuff. Oh. Yeah. Doesn't that sound awesome? Yeah. I know. I'm like, I want to do that. Um, and <laughs> then... Get you and your buddies together and just yeah. go on a bike ride. <laughs> so there were six dudes that went to that first one. Mm-hmm. They did the first trip. Just six. And it included this guy... Um, the core mechanic, Private John Finley, who uh, had worked at a bicycle shop. I, it sounded more impressive than just a shop, like a big yeah. bicycle place in Chicago uh-huh. for like four years before he was in the military. Yeah. So he was like, it, he, he was knew the guy. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And he had to have a special bike that had like this big metal box on the handlebars mm-hmm. with all of his tools and stuff. And what they would do is if somebody's bike broke, he would trade bikes with them mm-hmm. and then he would fix that bike and they would ride his bike and then he would fix it however long it took and then ride and catch up with them. So he had like the hardest job. Yeah, totally. For sure. Um, So he went on all the trips. Yeah. And then there was um, this other guy, Mingo Sanders, who is a really important character, um, just kind of in the long haul. Mm -hmm. He's not like that key, like, well, there's a lot of uh, conflicting information. Basically, that's what happens in history. Yeah. Right. Especially like stuff like this. Like who's writing this down? Yeah. Um, totally. As like especially in these early trips. But just remember, remember the name Mingo Sanders. I don't think I'll ever forget it. Thank you. Yeah. My dog's name. My parents have a dog named Mingo. Is his last name Sanders? Uh huh. Well. Yeah. It's this, it's yep. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually named after an opera singer. What's that opera singer's name? D- something Domingo. That makes sense. My mom would get really mad if she knew I couldn't remember his first name. Um, I like you to keep that part in there. <laughs> they saw him in Argentina, mm-hmm. and she got back, and she was like, got a puppy, and she was like, his name is Mingo because of the opera singer. There you go. That's my decision. How is your dog's opera? Pretty good. Yeah, he's nippy. You know, he's like a yippy dog. Yeah. So, not great. Yeah. I think it'd be better. My old dog had, had an opera that was like, oh, oh, oh. That's pretty good. Do you know how some dogs do that? It's arguably as good as any opera I've ever Anyway, so they did that first trip. It was hard, but they were like, hell yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. Second test trip, August of 1896, the same year, they took eight riders to Yellowstone Park, and they took them 10 days, and it's 500 miles round trip. Yeah. Pretty intense. That's intense. 
And then when they got there, it sounded like they just had a great time. Yeah. They just like <laughs> hung out, went sightseeing, saw Old Faithful. Totally. And they took these amazing pictures. So the guy, um, Lieutenant Moss, he brought a Kodak camera and some film. It was, mm. you know, a new invention. Yeah. All this is new invention. Yeah. And he, so he took some pictures. And um, maybe I can actually bring them up for you. Um, of them like playing in Yellowstone. So is Moss the only white guy here? At this point, yes. So Moss and then his six to however many. Six on the first, I don't know, I guess, yeah, no, I think it is six of the um, soldiers on the first trip and then eight soldiers on the second trip. On the second trip. And as far as I know, no other white men were accompanying the soldiers um, until the final big trip. Mm -hmm. So check this out. There's this, this picture in Yellowstone. <laughs> so they're all like... <laughs> they're all standing on um, the, like the sulfur shelves yeah. of Yellowstone, and oh, then <laughs> they're lined up together, taking a picture. Yeah, this is, I think this that's is them crazy. on Mammoth Hot Springs, which is so unsafe. It's crazy that they are doing this. Yeah, because people die. Totally, people die like every year. They just like fall in, like this one right here. This is on Mammoth, and there's they're biking in a circle. Yeah, around it. <laughs> that's where people fall in. Yeah. But, I don't know. I guess they did it. Simpler time. Way safer. It looks like they're having so much fun. Yeah. Ooh, they also had to carry um, a gun on their back. A 10-pound gun on their back. And their bikes with all their stuff yeah. was 60 pounds altogether. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I can't even imagine. They had to learn how to shoot their gun while, while biking. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Which is like... I mean, it doesn't really make sense for what they're doing in this, but as for the sake of the experiment, yeah, you know, for, like, the future, totally. I guess it makes sense. Um, Just the idea of, like, a bicycle being used in, like, war. I know. Is it insane? It is insane, but it also makes a lot of sense. Oh, totally. It's just, it's weird, I guess. Part of me is... Um, Conflicted. I didn't hear anybody talk about this. There's a PBS documentary that's really good. Mm -hmm. And there's this book, The Great Bicycle Experiment by Kay Moore. Um, and I think Farron Doss wrote one as well. And Farron Doss is the man who actually started the African American Studies Department at the university. Okay. And he recreated the trip in the 70s. Oh, my in God. 78, I think. Yeah, so he seems really cool. Um, and he wrote a book as well, but I couldn't find it today at Fact and Fiction, so I didn't get a chance to read it. Yeah. Um, but I think I met him mm -hmm. when I worked there. Anyway, That's long cool. story short, I didn't hear anybody or read about anyone talking about the fact that this like group of black men are being asked to do this really difficult thing. Mm -hmm. And the way that it was pitched was it was like happenstance because it just happened to be Lieutenant Moss who was interested in bikes. Yeah. And it just happened to be his higher up that was like also interested in the bikes. Yeah. So they're like, of course, we'll just use this group of men. Yeah. But on the other hand, like that's an that's a crazy thing to ask of a group of people. Totally. When that's never been done before. They hey don't guys, have I know you're I know you're in the military, but um <laughs> We're going to go on a series of uh, 100 miles bike rides. Yeah. So load up your back and... Uh, Let's just do it. Start pedaling. <laughs> no one had ever done... I mean, they, they developed... They developed um, a triangle bag to go underneath the main bar, mm -hmm. you know, that when you took it apart and put it back together, it would turn into different pots and pans. Like, they oh. developed it for this trip, apparently. Yeah. So they, it was totally new. Yeah. I guess it's just, it's, it, it like worries me because you're basically taking the work of an animal, a horse, yep. and instead of asking white men to, to try to figure out, figure it out if it's doable, they're asking right. these black men to do yeah. it, you know, which feels pretty racist. Totally. To um, I would like to think that it is just happenstance, but that's kind of hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but they do a great job. Did they ever then use what they learned from these experiences and have white platoons no never that never happens wow yeah um so yeah so i guess the next thing that happens they come back from yellowstone mm -hmm. it and the, you know along the way the cool thing i did i feel like the writer farron doss yeah would not who who is a black man who headed the department of african-american studies i don't think he would sugarcoat the truth you right. know so he he did not say they experience racism, racism in Montana mm -hmm. as they're traveling through. The general story is that they would come to a town, you know, they went through 
Helena, Billings, they went through Bozeman on the way to Yellowstone. Um, they would come into town and they kind of hang out in the street and like answer questions and talk to people. Um, but the general consensus, as far as I can see, is that in Montana, they were treated really well, which is pretty cool. And Missoula loved them. Missoula was like all about it. Sure. Yeah. And so, (laughs) which doesn't surprise me. Um, so Missoula, so back in Missoula, after the Yellowstone trip, they decide, okay, the next summer we're going to do this for real. Yeah. 40 men, um, uh, volunteer, Mm -hmm. 20 men are picked out of that 40. Only five of which had gone on the earlier trips. Previous version, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's Mingo Sanders is definitely there, mm-hmm. and um, John Finley, the mechanic, mm-hmm. um, and then the rest, the other eighteen soldiers, plus Lieutenant Moss, mm-hmm. and then the other two white men who went are um, the surgeon, and then um, a reporter for the Missoulian who okay. was nineteen. His name was Edward Booz, and wow. so he would like periodically or every day maybe like very often send back reports Mm -hmm. and his dad was the publisher of the Missoulian so I think all that stuff is probably on display at Fort Missoula yeah which I really wanted to go today but um so that's how you get like all of these amazing reports and so so the big journey with the 20 guys right so then they go from Fort Missoula all the way to St. Louis Missouri Holy shit. Yes. And it is, um, let's see, I'm actually just going to look right here at the map. I'm looking at the book, The Great Bicycle Experiment by Kay Moore, Check which out. Uh, turns out is for uh, youth. Ooh. It is a book written for youth. I read it on the treadmill yesterday. Um, <laughs> it looked really cool. Everyone's like, that girl's smart. And I'm like, hey. Is that girl on the treadmill reading a book for youth? <laughs> yeah. For you, um, nineteen hundred miles, nineteen hundred point two miles, and they did it in. They did, did about fifty two miles per day. That's crazy. Which is way better than a horse. About twice as fast as you could go on horseback, because horses need to eat, and shit. sleep, and shit. Yeah, they die sometimes. They die. They get injured. You're like riding a horse after it dies. Oh my god! You just sit. They in go one so spot. slow. <laughs> Um, and it took 52 days and six days of rest. Okay. I believe is what, how it went. Um, and yeah, so, and they basically, it's like everything you can imagine going wrong went wrong. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. There's huge rainstorms. There was one point in South Dakota, like they're on this flat where, um, they got lost. Like some people got injured or something or their bikes got broken Oh, I know what it was. They ran out of food. Yeah. They ran out of food, so they're going, oh. and Lieutenant Moss is like, I'm going to take the cook. Apparently, they had a cook with them. I'm going to take the cook, probably just one of the soldiers, yeah. I guess, and we're going to go ahead, and we're going to set up camp. We're going to be ready, so you meet us. Yeah. And then everyone just got lost in this oh. giant flat, yeah. and they had to, like, shoot their guns in the air to try to find each other again, oh, my God. and then they all collapsed on the ground at like two in the morning and yeah. just like slept on the ground oh. and when they woke up they were within a mile of the de- of the town <laughs> they were looking for yeah yikes yeah because i mean even with what you're doing it's gonna be hard to like totally. carry all the shit you need with yeah. you you know like running out of food of course yeah. for these guys that makes sense yeah happens to me in the art mobile yeah <laughs> and i have a lot of space are you going to carry food with you? I'm going to have some. Yeah. I'm going to have backup cans of tuna and ramen, probably. Mm-hmm. Some some apples. Dude. I don't know. I, I'm obsessed with food. Yeah. I'm, like, so obsessed with, like, having my little snack bag in the van with me and knowing exactly, like, what I have in case. Because yeah. I have, like, my blood sugar gets all crazy sometimes. I'm, like, trying very specifically to, like, have a very strict food budget so I don't go crazy because like that makes sense. anytime I travel I'm like I want to eat everywhere yeah I know you just want to experience that so I need to like stop and go to grocery stores and get food yeah. that I can make and have along the way I'm we're just so freaking spoiled oh totally this, these guys on that day I was talking yeah. about they had coffee and toast in the morning yeah and that's it that's... all day Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Rizzo gave me a jet boil. You know. He did. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, jet boils are awesome. But yeah, yeah no, you're right. Like, right. like we're so lucky. 
A jet boil. It's like so light. I've got like a tiny stove that I'll just have with me now. Yeah. (laughs) And you can't eat, like jet boils are just like the answer. You can eat so much crap. And oatmeal and Mm -hmm. coffee and Mm -hmm. soup and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? There's this really amazing company out of Bozeman mm-hmm. that makes little packets of pour-over coffee. Really? Yeah, and you can oh. just, it like has the pour-over like machine, like it's like made out of cardboard. Yeah. And you like open it up and set it on your coffee uh, coffee cup yeah. and pour the water over it. Oh. It's pretty cool. I'll show you. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, they there's like stories about them going over the gumbo of like Eastern Montana and Mm -hmm. South Dakota that like I grew up in Eastern Montana, the gumbo where I grew up. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Gumbo. You're talking about like the Louisiana delicacy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The rice dish. They didn't go over the jambalaya. (laughs) (laughs) The rice and shrimp dish. Yeah. Um, not quite. No, I don't know what you're talking about. with Gumbo Gumbo is, it's like very thick mud, clay, clay mud. Where, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, like, you'd walk and you'd just be like, you're wearing snowshoes. Oh, my God. That's just, like, gray yeah. mud. Gross. And it's so gross. It's really, really, really gross. Um, so these guys are biking on that. And they said that when the, um, I think it was actually the same time when they got lost, because when the when the sun came up, they, he wrote, like, we looked at our bikes but didn't recognize them. You couldn't see a single spoke. Oh my because God. they were just discs of gumbo. Yeah. Can that's, you imagine? That's gritty. And the, the wheels themselves are made out of wood that is like... Yeah, <laughs> wood wheels been, going <laughs> 2,000 miles? And it's with their wooden wheels that... Whoa, did you just bump my microphone? I kicked it. <laughs> um, so they're wooden wheels that are like shellacked. That's yeah. not the right word, but something like to have some sort of material on them. Good word to me. <laughs> <laughs> and the water would like um, make that gum... Or the glue, like, unstick. Uh-huh. So then the wheels would be, like, falling apart. Oh, my God. And then they would just fall apart. Yeah. And then this guy, Finley, would have to fix it. Yeah. It's just... So is he just, like, a woodworker, then? Cause, I, I mean, don't how know. Do you, I don't understand it. How do you fix a wheel made of wood? He said that at a certain point, you're just, like, taping them totally. as you go. Yeah. You know? You're just... And then you hope that at the next stop... Because I think they had stops every couple days. Yeah. That, like, forts. Yeah. Um, where they would go and restock on food and stuff. Um, and so they finally get to St. Louis, and honestly, I, it's kind of interesting because even though the whole story is about this trip, uh-huh. it's almost like the most boring part of the story. Yeah. Because it's like, and then they had more hardship. Yeah. And then they had more hardship. Rain. Sounds so like you're doing rain. an Obama impression. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have Obama on the podcast. He'll be here. I wish. Do you he, just remember Obama? Oh, God. What a great time. Uh, oh, so, we were so spoiled. So cool. Yeah. <sighs> Great family. Just good to look at. Good to look at. You know? Not, to, not offensive to all the senses. To every sense. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Wait, what? why was St. Louis the destination that they picked? I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. It didn't really explain that at any point. I think it's just yeah, another, probably another military fort. Okay. Um, a big one. Yeah. And he, he did say that the, the route would take them on a variety of types of land Mm -hmm. and so that was like a good indication of like future um you know use of a bike so the point of all of these different trips that they went on Uh was basically constantly testing and retesting the ability of a bike to replace a horse yes okay yeah and um yeah exactly the first two were mostly to test for the bigger trip. Yeah. You know, it was just trial runs. Sure. Um, I think the goal was always to do this big trip to Uh St. Louis. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, they would, they would follow railroad tracks when they could, they would take roads when they could. Um, but it's, I mean, some of the stuff they did was just crazy. They said that at a certain point there was hail that hit them that was so drifting in eight foot drifts that they had to get over. Oh my God. They would, one of their drills they did before they could even leave was they would have to go over a nine foot wall. All, all of the people would have to go over the nine foot wall in 20 seconds with their bikes. What? So they would, yeah. So they would all go up to it, lean their bike against the wall, jump over with, by using the bike, they would like climb on top of their bike yeah. and jump over. Yeah. And then they would, the people that were left behind would throw the bikes over. Yeah. And, then, and the, then they would catch it. Mm-hmm. And then wow. they would lift the people that they had left. It's good that they had help. 
You mean, like, within themselves? Like, yeah, that, like, one person could be down to throw up the bike to the person that's yeah. up sort of thing. Because, like, yeah. otherwise you'd have to, what, you'd have to get How to the top, hoist it up with a rope mm-hmm. or something? Like, But a horse can't go over a nine-foot wall. That's true. And neither can a jeep. Yeah. You know, so really, like... Neither could I. <laughs> yeah, neither could I. I know. Nine-foot wall? Holy crap. That's two of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm four foot five. <laughs> I wish. Uh. I wish that you're four foot five so that I could um Wait, is four foot five you. times two no, it's four foot six. Four six. Yeah. I wasn't gonna call you out on your, your math error. I just don't know how to count. <laughs> I don't I don't know how inches work. Uh, the other thing that they did was they would in order to cross a river, they would have these same kind of method of like sharing mm-hmm. the the work, you know, and they yeah. would use these poles. Um, they would split into two. Actually everything was in two, so they um, everyone is in a pair. They used a buddy system. They had a buddy system, yeah. exactly. That each guy would carry half a tent, half mm-hmm. the poles, um, and then they all split tents. Yeah. You know? Um, and then when you were crossing a river, you'd get these poles and you'd put one bike on the pole and hold it over your head as you walked through the water. Yeah. And then do that again, back oh and my forth. God. It's like that math equation about um, you have a fox and a rabbit and a goat. Mm hmm. Or whatever, or something like that. Oh, and a head of lettuce. You have a fox, a rabbit, and a head of lettuce. How do you get across the river without without one of them disappearing or getting? Have you ever heard that math Never equation? Heard it. It's like you have to like arrange. Okay, so you take the the cabbage and the fox, and then you you take the fox with you know I don't know. You can't leave them alone <laughs> uh-huh. by on the other side of the river. I see. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, because if you left the fox and the rabbit together without the head of lettuce, yeah, then the fox would eat the rabbit. Yes. And then the head of lettuce would just be on the other side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you have to like arrange it. Yeah. Anyway, so it's the same type of thing, and it's interesting to me. Yeah. Huh. They also had rules about um, never let your bike fall into enemy hands. If you have to abandon your bike, break the wheels by jumping on it. Oh and... my god. <laughs> yeah. It's like sulfur tablets for spies. If yes. They get caught. <laughs> exactly, which is weird. Yeah. And would you have to shoot your horse? Maybe. I don't know that. I've never heard that before. I feel like you wouldn't because what if you can get your horse back at some point? Yeah. And also, like, I guess a bike is helpful to your enemy, but... It's just a bike. It's just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't need to break it. Aren't they amazing? Bikes are the best. Bikes are pretty good. I guess motorcycles are probably invented after bikes. I would hope so. That would make sense. I think they invented a car and then they invented a bike or vice versa. I don't know which one's first. But then they're like, you know what? Let's combine these. <laughs> I think bicycles were invented before cars. That would make sense. I think so. And then probably motorcycles happened after cars. Yeah. I think they must have the same the same sort of chain system, don't they? I have like a chain system. There's a chain. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know the chain. Matt <laughs> Matt has <laughs> used that problem sometimes. Yeah. Um but, you know, the thing that happened, I think they probably would have replaced horses with bikes, but then cars became a thing. Yeah. So they were just like, oh, fuck that. We don't need bikes. We can yeah. just use a car. Just use a car. God, isn't it weird that nowadays people do that kind of thing for fun? Yeah. And they're like, talk about it and like brag about it. And it's oh, like, totally. I biked 2,000 miles. And yeah. it's like, that's cool. But you had roads. You have roads. You probably did it you all on a highway. To... Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to go through clay. Carbon fiber frame. You have a thing called like <laughs> Google Maps. Yes. <laughs> like... Hotels, couch surfing, like yeah. all the things that are just eating at a freaking diner. Yeah. Oh my God. I used to work at Bergie's in Nashua and it's right on the High Line. So people would bike from Portland to Chicago or yeah. to Maine on... Um, and they go by all the time. So yeah. you always had cyclists that came in. Mm-hmm. And they would wear, you know, neon, skin-tight gear and be on their fancy little bikes. So and cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd sit and eat, like, a pint of ice cream yeah. because they could, you yeah. know? <laughs> and there was, it was just this weird thing. And now, like, now it's like that. But these were, like, the first people to ever do that. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. That's insane. Um, but the interesting thing about it is that they apparently didn't really tell their kids about it. They really? like, it wasn't something that they thought of is more like, a um, that's our duty. You know, right. this is our job is to do whatever is told. Yeah. You know, whatever we're, we're their told service to do. that they were told to do at mm-hmm. that time was just happened to be this extraordinary thing that no one had ever done before. Yeah. And they were just like, yeah, they made us do it. So that's what we did. It's not a big deal. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I wish that I knew more about, um, the people who cut the trails in Glacier. Apparently oh it's God. these same dudes, you know? Yeah. And now that's like, 
Yeah. Anyway, so how many how many racist assholes have gone through Glacier <laughs> and enjoyed the beautiful trails? Yeah. That were made by these these guys hundreds of years before. Yeah. Seriously. It's crazy. It's really interesting, and especially because there's like. Um, a lack of diversity in the parks program and the park yeah. system. And it's like a problem that's being like addressed or it was a conversation during the centennial last year. Yeah. And these are the dudes who like did it apparently. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, I wish that they had stayed. That's the thing. I wish that, that they had stuck around and finished out their um, enlistment here in Missoula and yeah. chosen to stay. Yeah. But instead it was um, actually they got shipped out mm -hmm. during the Spanish American war. So, Racism comes back. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> when they left for their big trip, mm -hmm. it was on Easter Sunday, and Missoula postponed its Easter services so to come out into the street and have a big parade and like wish them off. And, oh my like, god! I know. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Yes, but the Easter Sunday thing is when they actually were shipped off to the to Florida. Okay. For the, so that actually was in order yeah. um okay so so stuff happened the ship got bombed or whatever in havana i don't really yeah. understand what happened there yeah. but um the problem of cuba was becoming a thing mm -hmm. and so they shipped all four black infantries to florida in 1898 gotcha um because they thought that the black men would have uh, be more resilient to the uh, jungle <laughs> conditions. Good God. I know. <laughs> yep. So that's what they did. And I think, you know, I didn't know this, or I didn't put it together, but um, the black uh, soldiers were called buffalo soldiers uh -huh. by the Native Americans um, because of their, like, black hair, their yeah. dark curly hair. So the song Buffalo Soldier by yeah. Bob Marley yeah. is about, like, the abhorrent conditions that many black soldiers were like made to go through wow yeah that's um, crazy so they're called buffalo soldiers as buffalo regiment i yeah. you know could have mentioned that a while ago um but anyway so they go from being up here they go down to florida with the other black regiments and they go to cuba to fight and remember Mingo, mm -hmm. our buddy Mingo Sanders I was wondering when he was coming back yeah so he's a a career a military man. Yeah. And he's in Cuba. Um, he work. he fights very hard and does a really good job. And, um, basically say Teddy Roosevelt is maybe the commander or something mm -hmm. or the general. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> he's in charge. He's something. He's something. And his ass. He's not a private. He's, he's not a, a he's private. He's not a spy. <laughs> he's probably not a spy. <laughs> and he's not the president yet. Yeah. Um, so he's in charge and basically these black soldiers save his ass. Yeah. Um, they win the, the battle or whatever. Yeah. And um, and then later, uh, the same troops are sent to the Philippines. Uh -huh. And Mingo um, saves four or five American prisoners and captures 14 Filipino prisoners. Oh, my God. Um, basically, he's like a military hero. Yeah. You know, he's doing really well Without for Without question, yeah. Yeah. And um, he was so then this is like kind of a honestly it sucks there's a tragic ending to yeah. the story um so there's this thing called the brownsville affair of 1906 mm -hmm. um so obviously racism in america okay let's just recognize it again so in texas um there's no racism in texas <laughs> yeah uh so in texas after after the spanish-american war after they're in the philippines mm -hmm. they're in brownsville texas and the people of Brownsville, Texas, did not want these black regiments there. Mm -hmm. And um, they there was a lot of tension. And in the middle of the night, one night, some a white man was shot. A white bartender was shot and killed. Yeah. And the townspeople decided it was yeah. the soldiers that sure. did it. Of course. Yeah. And by this time, Teddy Roosevelt is the president of the United States. Yeah. And he dishonorably discharges all 168 soldiers. <laughs> because one white guy was shot yes! in the bar. And it wasn't even proven that it was anybody uh, from the soldiers. And so that guy, Mingo Sanders, who worked yeah. hard his whole life, yeah. got two months away from retirement, got dishonorably discharged, no career, no pension, nothing. What the fuck? I know. And then... Um, Teddy. <laughs> right? 
And he even wrote a letter to Teddy Roosevelt that was yeah. like, hey, could you help me out, bud? Hey, remember when I saved you? Yeah. Remember when I, like, worked really hard as one of your soldiers? Um, Do you think that collectively the hundred and something of us <laughs> killed this one white guy? Because, like, I was sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were working really hard, as you can see from the history of God. our troop, that we were great. Yeah. And eventually, in 1972, um, they were posthumously given honorable discharges and mm-hmm. the charges were dropped the murder yeah. charges or whatever um but only so after they were all dead except for two two were still alive and i think those two that were still alive got like fifty thousand dollars or something well, good yeah I and mean, that's pretty good they uh, should give them all the money that should have gone to all hundred and some <laughs> out of them yes yeah and there should be this whatever um, yeah i wasn't here in 1972 i don't know exactly what how the media covered it but there should have i hope that there was some sort of public apology and, totally um, and it should have happened way before that. So, um, but yeah, that's basically the story. Super fascinating. I feel like it's like a hidden gem of totally. Montana history. Yeah. I wish, I wish that, wouldn't it be cool if instead of being shipped to Florida, they like stayed? If they stayed, imagine what culturally that would have done yeah. for Montana in general. Yeah. I know. It would have been great. Yeah. <sighs> I remember when there was that race conference, I think it may have been before you moved here, actually, Mm -hmm. Um, the creative writing program or department um, held this race conference. And so there were all these people of color here and they gave talks and the people were having, I don't know, talking about race in America. And it was really interesting and really cool that we did that. But it was also this thing where a lot of people had said, like, I feel really uncomfortable here because there's like everybody's white totally you know and it just it makes me sad because um obviously not everyone's white like we have also just the ease that people of different ethnicities would feel going to a conference like that mm-hmm. when it's going to be predominantly white mm-hmm. they would there's a strange pressure where they would have to then represent their entire culture yeah and it's like whoa i just want to be here and see what people yeah, say and stuff here. like mm-hmm. i know the claudia Rankine, who's a poet who wrote a book um about like uh, police violence and stuff, um, called Citizen. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really good and interesting, but that came out and she came here after that. And it won the National Book Award, I think, for poetry. Yeah. Yeah. So she was this like big deal and she shows up and I remember I went to her talk and it was basically like, she was just like kind of calling out the crowd for being so white. Totally. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we deserve it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Was it hard? You moved here from L.A. I did. Wow. So were you kind of shocked by the... Yeah, I, I definitely was. I was dating my ex-girlfriend at the time, and she's half Thai, half Filipino. Mm-hmm. And she moved to Kalispell with me. She got there about two months after I did. Uh-huh. So it, it was... I felt kind of strange because it was less obvious to me until she got there. And then seeing her deal with just the amount of white people. Yeah. Because she's, like, very exotic looking. So us going into a Costco together and just seeing a sea of white yeah (laughs) and her feeling the discomfort and stuff was like oh yeah that's very much a thing yeah for me it was just strange which is like oh man but detached i mean i'm Mm -hmm. not i'm not in a sea of people that's not that don't look exactly like me i fit in just fine but yeah i'm definitely aware and like wish that it were not the case that Mm -hmm. it was just so many fucking white people (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's interesting are, do you have any concerns about safety while you're on the road? Shit happens. I mean, shit happens all the time. Yeah. Last night, me and Marshall and Justin were at the Badlander for karaoke night, mm-hmm. and there was this white guy who was just terrible. And he comes up and he's like, yo, if I pay you, will you guys, like, applaud when I go up there and do some freestyle rapping? What? And we're like, what? What is this situation? And then... Uh, Jeff Medley was emceeing the karaoke uh-huh. and this guy was really obnoxious and his dad was super drunk and trying to make it happen. And eventually Jeff was like, all right, you know what? We're going to let this kid do some freestyle rapping. And it was, it seemed fine. Nobody could understand a word that he was saying because yeah. it was just like, like no, none of your words are. Why would he ask to pay you to applaud? That's so weird. Yeah. He just wanted, he said it was his first time ever rapping in front of people and that he was, I think, nervous, uh-huh. but he was like clearly an idiot. Yeah. And he goes up on stage and he raps and it's fine. And people are like, okay, yeah, good job. You did it. And then he's like, 
And then Jeff's like, thank you so much. You did a great, that was great. You know, uh, let's uh, get the next karaoke person up here. And he's like, who wants to hear me rap more? Oh. And everybody's just like, uh. And he's like, you know what? Nah, I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to rap more. And Jeff's like, dude, no, we're do- this is karaoke night. We thank you for, you yeah, know. Yeah, this isn't this open is n- mic. This is not open mic. You know, please, you know, let somebody come up. And he's like, and he flips off Jeff. And, what? And the second he did that, Medley was like, okay, you just flipped me off. I was nothing but nice to you. Get the fuck off my stage. <laughs> oh, my God. And at that point, because he said that, security comes. And uh-huh. security took him. And then as security's, like, dragging this guy out, he, like, starts fucking throwing arms at security. Security throws him into a table. What? There's broken glass on the ground. There's, like, a huge fight. And me and Marshall and Justin are, like, two feet away from it when it's happening. And we're just like... What the fuck is happening right now? Oh my god. But it was like right after I had that conversation with my mom about how anything yeah. can happen anywhere. Yeah. So like me in Missoula, I've been here for two years. Mm-hmm. And you know, I could have had a glass thrown at my head and needed stitches or some shit. Yeah. Like, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So That's very interesting. I'm not super worried about anything mm-hmm. bad happening. I mean, I'm sure like my motorcycle will break down. Maybe I'll get robbed at some point or something. Mm-hmm. Shit happens. Yeah. You can't control that kind of thing. But all I can do is be as safe as I can. am capable yeah. of being. and Let go of the idea of having a perfect day every day. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think I'm going to have a lot of really bad days. Well, the thing that's really interesting about... Um, uh, these types of trips, and I think that, like, it's interesting to think about these guys doing this trip, because you go, like, you spend all your time thinking about this thing, and preparing for it, and you're in your, like, comfortable world, and you're trying to guess what it's going to be like in the future, and then you get into it, and then you're, like, five days in, and it's your life now, Yeah. you know, and you're just, like, you're experiencing something that you never could have pictured yeah and it might not even be a dramatic something you know it's just like right. this like other feeling of oh i guess this is my life now this is what it, this is what's happening yeah day. and these guys i mean can you imagine being going 50 miles a day with 19 other people i guess like 20 other 21 other people and yeah. working that hard every yeah. single day for weeks they must have had crazy legs. They must have. They, a lot of... Actually, in the documentary, it gives their measurements yeah. from before and after. Uh-huh. A few of them gained weight. Yeah. You know, because you just get really strong. Even their oh. upper body, because they had to lift their bikes oh, so yeah. much, and they're 60 pounds. Sure. Yeah, I don't... I, I really like that. Last year, I did a, um, a canoe trip on the Missouri, mm-hmm. and it was a five-day canoe trip, and it was like, you just get into this different world in yeah. your head, you know, just a different, like, way of being yeah. when you're in a transient state totally. for that long, yeah. you know? It's really fun. I've never done anything like this in my life. Oh, my gosh. To me, I, like, keep wording it as a trip, but it's, mm-hmm. like, six months. That's not a trip. That's it's like, like you're moving to nowhere. I'm moving to nowhere. Yeah. I'm choosing homelessness. Is you're, what I'm doing. you're moving to moving. Yeah. Like, moving to transiency. Yeah. But... The thing is, is that it's a choice. Oh, totally. You know? And I think that that's the interesting thing about it, is that you're, you have, I'm guessing you have enough money. hmm You know? You yeah. have... I mean, I've been saving for a year. Yeah. So. You have a safety net in a lot of ways. Totally. hmm For me, what's interesting about it being a choice is that I realize that most of the big life choices I've made have been because I've been in a situation where I feel like... I need to make a change. I, like, need to get out of, like, a situation. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I was sick of living in California, so I moved to Montana. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I'm in a relationship that's not good, so I need to get out of it. You you let things get to a point where where they're not acceptable anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's why, that's the catalyst for the change. For this, I've literally never been happier in my life than I am right now. Uh So choosing to make such a big change is, like, incredibly difficult. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. It's cool that you have the the ability and the privilege to make the decision. Absolutely. Though, you know? I mean, it, it's definitely, like, it's it kind of shows that you're, you're doing well and that you're happy, and you're also doing well and that you have the safety of choosing to leave it behind. Yeah. You know? I think that's what always kind of frustrated me. I had friends who would choose homelessness and stuff, and... Um, 
I end up feeling kind of like a grandpa where I'm like, you kids, you yeah. don't even know how good you have it, you oh, know? Yeah. And it's like, if you, if you really knew what it felt like to be homeless, you wouldn't choose to be homeless. Totally. You know? There's nothing easy about it. No. But I think it just comes down to what your goal is. Yeah. You know? What is, what is your goal? I think to just... I think one of the things that was most appealing about moving from California to Montana was that I could be in a new place and figure out who I am separate from all of the things that I had grown up with. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just another step forward to that goal. Mm -hmm. It's to let myself not be around my friends anymore, not let myself be around the place and the people that I've become Mm -hmm. incredibly comfortable with, and just kind of figure out who I am when I don't have all of those factors that have defined me. Yeah, I like that, I, that I like that qualifier of, like, you're not trying to necessarily figure out who you are, period. It's who am I when I don't have all this comfort. Yeah. You know, who what's left behind, what rises to the occasion yeah. within me. That makes sense. How do I act when I'm on the side of the road mm-hmm. and my motorcycle's broken down mm-hmm. and my phone is dead and I feel mm-hmm. stuck and alone and sad? Mm-hmm. Like, who's that, Adam? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find out, you know? Yeah. I, I've never done anything like what you're about to do, but I have traveled a lot. Yeah. And um, I love that that part of myself. Yeah. That Tess. Who, the, the, the Tess who is on the side of the road with a broken down car and no phone. Totally. I like... That's my favorite version of myself. Yeah. You know? Because it's like that part of yourself that's like, well, I guess I'm going to figure this out. And yeah. then you figure it out. Yeah. And like, if you can figure out how to not be panicked. Yeah then you find this, like, whole new part of yourself yeah. that is, like, strong and um, a problem solver, yeah. you know? I don't remember exactly what the quote is, but there's something that I'm going to butcher that's basically the journey doesn't begin until things start going wrong. Mm, that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I'm excited for things to start going wrong. It's so crazy. <laughs> Even with Artmobile, which I'm paid to do, you yeah. know, I every trip, like, there's one trip where I got back and I was like, oh, yeah, my phone, my phone's broken. That happened a while ago, and, you know, and this, the, oh, yeah, no, the air conditioner doesn't work, of course, and, yeah. and there's, like, a whole list of things where it's like, oh, no, all of that went wrong, yeah. but you just kind of are like, so, yeah. you know, like, I'm a living, breathing person, Yeah, I'm accomplishing the things I need to accomplish, totally. like, I don't need that thing anymore, yeah. and maybe, yeah, maybe I didn't sleep for three nights in a row because sure. of insomnia, Yeah, but... Whatever, hey, you know, you do I mean, anyway. When I was thinking about about my trip and what it would be, the reason that I came up, the first reason I came up with doing a motorcycle trip was because I was like, oh, I'd save so much money on gas mm. if I had a motorcycle, mm-hmm. which is definitely true. But then I was like, but I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. Is that really a good idea to learn how to ride something that's very dangerous to go on this trip just to save money? And then I realized that if I had a motorcycle... I would not have the safety and the security of a car. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to sleep in my car. I wouldn't have walls or windows around me. Yeah. I'd be forced to literally be just out in the earth. Yes. And I was like, okay, there's something there. And then I thought about the fact that with a motorcycle, the amount of things that I could just bring with me shrinks drastically. Yes. And I was yeah. like, this has to be what I do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a crazy, crazy decision. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's insane. When Matt and I went to Crete, like, our plan was to get a motorcycle, and then we couldn't. We had to get a car. Yeah. And after 24 hours, we're like, thank God we couldn't get a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me confident. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're going to... No, it'll be fine. Because what you do is you raise the occasion. Yeah. And you might look back and be like, oh, yeah, no, I was miserable, like, the whole time. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I've had relationships where I look back and I think that. But I think, you know what? <laughs> hey, I, I'm the person I am today because I went through that That's that a really good thing. point, yeah. honestly. So. I, one time, when I, when I studied abroad, I was the happiest I'd ever been, and then I left. And yeah. it was really interesting. Yeah. Because you, you are at a new baseline of discomfort just mm-hmm. because you're leaving all those things that are happy. Yeah. So it's like there's a different a different um criteria for good. Yeah. You know, it's oh, like totally. you, your criteria goes way down yeah. or whatever. It's like, well, this is better than that <laughs> sadness I've been feeling this whole time. Yeah. So I guess it's happiness, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a totally it's like the wavelength is down here, but it's still waving. That's you know? so interesting. Yeah. And then the good memories, but it's like tainted with not tainted but 
uh, filtered through uh, everything is learning experience. Yeah. Even the, the good things are learning experiences because you're learning how to see the good things. Totally. Comparing one really pretty crazy trip with another crazy trip, but you have some advantages, I yeah. would say. I think I think once I come back, we'll do another episode where we talk about uh, how my trip was compared to how I think their trip was. <laughs> You're like mine was worse. So hard. <laughs> oh man, my arms got tired. <laughs> you are. I mean, it is gonna be hard though. Oh, it's gonna be super hard. It's yeah. gonna be so hard. Yeah. Yeah, but that's whatever. Yeah, that's fine. I'll deal yeah. with it being hard. Oh, it's really cute. That's gonna be great. I know. I'm so excited. Um, okay, well, dude. Hey. Thank you. You're very welcome. You're gonna do great. This was a lot of fun. It's good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you had fun. I learned a lot. I hope so. But I in a casual and comfortable way. <laughs> That's what we're going for. Yeah. I hope that you um, think about these men when you're on your on your trip. I think I will. Hey, thanks, uh, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, listeners. That's all. Folks. <laughs> And there you have it. We're going to miss you, Adam. Have fun. Be safe. It's all going to be okay. We'll be here when you get back. Um, we love you. Okay. And now um, it's time to wrap up the show, I guess. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on iTunes, um, on the podcast app. You can find us uh, at soundcloud.com slash folks podcast you can find find us on facebook at facebook.com slash folks mt podcast um please rate review subscribe i would just really like to hear from uh, my listeners uh, what you think is working what you think could be done better and if you have any suggestions um of people you'd like to hear about and um, I'm going to try to stick to the ever, every other Tuesday schedule that I set for myself a little bit better. As always, the intro and outro music is by Dorothy, a project by Marshall Granger, who is going to miss Adam very, very much as well. All right. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.